welcome back to Divorced and Done. It's Saturday morning. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers, helping you navigate the six Divorced and Done steps to move through your divorce or family matter quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in this program is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, we're recording Friday night, but we're rolling into Saturday morning. How are you doing? I am so excellent. I can't even put into words how good I am. It's good to be back. I, I jumped on well, by myself. I'm I was, sorry about that. We're, we were never away. You, you were here. You were driving the bus solo this week, and I'm sorry I couldn't be with you. Uh, but it is, uh, thank you for your episode on Wednesday. I will admit to everyone, I listened to a chunk of it in the drive. I actually didn't finish it, but the piece that I did listen to was excellent. So thank you for doing it. No problemo. It's really tough doing those by yourself. You and I have talked about that after it's occasionally happened. We're nearing, yes. uh, not that we're counting in particular, but we're nearing 100 episodes of this podcast. And there's been a few occasions where I've done a stories, you've done an interview with someone, or you've done a questions interview or or questions episode by yourself. It's really tough driving the bus by yourself. So it's always better to be with someone else, particularly you, because as we get a lot of feedback from our listeners, they, for whatever reason, like our banter, we try and have fun and we try and keep you educated. So we're so happy to have our Divorced and Done community back with us, you and I together for this episode. It's great. It is wonderful. And as you and I say, it is the joy. It is our back and forth. It is the This is an extension of the conversation that you and I have been having now, coming up on a, more than 11 years. And I think folks are enjoying listening to us. We try and bring the delight and sunshine of a morning show with a little bit of a substance because we know you're going through a divorce, but let's have fun and talk about your divorce problems. And as a result of that, talking about family law, and as you said, Darren, 100 episodes, we still haven't run out of content. So if anyone has any content they want us to cover, because questions and your feedback do make this process go. Lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or a voicemail to speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. But even more than that, you can win a t-shirt. You cannot buy one of these t-shirts. Nope. The merch is not for sale. You gotta earn it. And Darren Schmidt, how can anybody earn a t-shirt? We are looking for you to go on to your favorite Uh, listening platform, wherever you find us. You can find us a handful of places, but you probably find us either on iTunes or Spotify. I've since learned there's a glitch here, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but we need you to leave a review. So you can leave us a five-star review, and you can also leave us a text review, but I believe it's only on iTunes. I'm a Spotify user, And I've been told since by a few other Spotify users that listen to our podcast, I can't leave a text review on Spotify. And I believe that's true. So uh, making a decision here on the fly, if you can't leave us a text review, but you leave us a five-star review, just email us and say, hey, I've left the five-star review and uh, you'll be entered to win the contest. And we'll reveal the winner at the end of September. So you have till September 30th to leave us the review. Go and do that. If you're on Spotify, it's literally a 
like two second process. You just click the button and hit five stars. And then I guess you'd have to email us. So maybe that's like eight seconds. It's a couple say, steps. And and there yeah. may be winners. This won't just be like one t-shirt. We're not, we're, we're going to do better than that. Mm, we're going to see what we get, right? So we, we need a little, we need more. We, we've been out, out for a week talking about this. We need more engagement from you. So go leave the review. It would mean the world to us. And as you said, questions power the podcast, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. You leave us a voicemail on the speakpipe. You go to the top of the pop. We have many, many, though, traditional email questions, and we should get to those now. If you want, Rob, we should roll into those. Let's go to question one this week. Comes to us, the listener says, gets right into it. My ex-wife and her lawyer are now refusing to sign the last issues of a set, uh, of a settlement agreement, or what we would call a separation agreement. The issues have been brought before a settlement judge, and he endorsed the way my lawyer and I have drafted it, but now it seems as though they are stalling in order for me to agree or just delay so I don't get to see my children more until this is settled. What's the best course of action regarding this? The issues are my ex wants to have separate doctor's appointments for us to attend for our children, and she wants more than two extracurricular activities per season for the children, which we said if it's more than two, then she can just do that during her time and at her expense. Listener leaves it at that. All right, so we have possibly a separation agreement that's been drafted, although it's unclear that the terms of settlement have actually been agreed to between the parties and the listeners of the perspective that the ex and her counsel are delaying this so that they can add more issues to the agenda and possibly uh, sweeten the pot for themselves. Uh, so Rob, what do you think of this? So my reading of this, because the listener says, the, the agreement is drafted, brought before a settlement judge, and he endorsed the way my lawyer and I have drafted it. And then he says there's a stall. So I don't know what a settlement judge is. I don't, I, I don't know, but I'm going to say I don't believe that's necessarily a title in Canada. I'm going to guess what this is, is the listener went to perhaps has the framework of settlement, went to something like in Alberta, what we have is JDR, judge-led mediations, what you have in BC, JCCs, family conferences in Ontario. Perhaps some settlement correspondence or settlement letter was put before a judge who said, I like this, this works, to mom and her lawyer, what do you think? And mom is saying no. So when we have an issue and we can't get resolution as much as we've tried through mediation or some other type of non-binding resolution, you must then take it to a binding form where someone else like a judge can make a decision. And if you're really close to the end and these are minor issues, hopefully you don't have to do something big like setting a trial and these can be resolved in perhaps what we think of in Alberta or BC, a chambers application, which is a more truncated application with your written affidavit. And perhaps if the settlement offer was made with prejudice, meaning it can be raised later on, or even just saying, this is the structure of what we'd like to do. This is what we're asking for. You can put that before a decision maker, like a judge, to say, this is what needs to happen on doctor's appointments or extracurriculars, whatever needs to happen, your position, and let that judge make a decision for you. Because if you've already gone to mediation or some non-binding forum, potentially more than once, and you're really close to the end, 
let's just have a decision maker come in here and tie up the loose ends. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. I think the threshold issue is, do you have a settlement or a binding memorandum of understanding or terms of settlement right now? I mean, we can't answer that based on what you've told us. Um, it appears you have a lawyer. Um, the lawyer likely would have talked to you about that. But I'm curious about whether you actually have a separation, not a separation agreement, excuse me, but like a, you, you have firm terms of settlement and the time for negotiation has ended. And we did do a case summary on this. The case name doesn't come to mind, but you and I, Rob, did a, an episode. That recent know, Alberta decision. Yes. New case out of Alberta was the title of the episode. Yeah, something to, to that end. Yeah. And it was about this issue, kind of. And it was about whether a file had been settled at a judicial dispute resolution process in Alberta, like a formal settlement process through the courts. And a, a court reviewing that matter had determined, yeah, there actually was a settlement here. You don't get to relitigate it or change some of the terms here. We actually have a binding settlement and you're bound to it. So here you go. And in the opinion, the court made some very pointed comments about, look, we don't want to relitigate things once we have a settlement. So again, I'm not certain what the answer is. That's, that's kind of fact dependent. But the first thing I'd want to know here, the most important thing I'd want to know is instead of talking about it's taking so long, or we need to add more issues to this, the answer might, might be, we have a fully binding settlement and we're bound by it. So let's endorse that through the court and you might need to bring an application to enforce it. That's something you should definitely talk to your lawyer about individually. But if that's the case and you feel like your case is strong to have that settlement be endorsed by the court, then that might be the best path forward rather than saying, well, let's go further down this path of trying to negotiate because then that starts looking a lot less like I think I have a binding settlement. It starts looking like, well, we never had a binding settlement because we're renegotiating things. So I think a strategic decision needs to be made on this probably sooner rather than later. But um, I hope that the plane comes in for a landing. I like overall that you've seem to have resolved a lot of big pieces to this, a lot of the divorced and done steps. And of course, Rob, you and I always say, why have a third party decide something for you if you can decide with your ex through the assistance of lawyers? And maybe that's happened here. And, and in fact, I hope that's what either has happened or you can bring the plane in for a landing through settlement some other way. So, Because even if you've I, solved 80% of your issues and that 20% you can't solve... There is no shame. There is no problem in taking that 20% before a decision maker and saying, look, we've already solved 80% of this by agreement. Can you help us solve this last 20 piece, this last 20%? It's not like that first 80% goes out the window if you take those last few issues before a court. You can do that. And That's we'd encourage really you to point. do it for efficiency's sake. Yeah. We, were, we In fact, you and I were talking about that. I won't get into the nuts and bolts, but we were just talking about this, like the uh, strategic uh, approach on some of these files is to do just that. Say, we can agree on all these things. Let's let's get a consent order in on this yes. or even a, a separation agreement saying these are all yep. the things we agree to, but we reserve 
this issue for a determination at court. Yep. And that's possible. So you can sort of partially settle and then move the other pieces you can't agree on to court. That's a really good point because um, you should solve as many things as you can. And you don't need to litigate everything. You don't need the trial. Of the sen- You don't need the Johnny Depp trial. It's efficient. It's cheaper. And if you agree on 80% of things, the court doesn't need to hear about all of your agreement and how you got there and what you thought about. Let's focus on the narrow issues where we do need that intervention and use that limited resource that is judicial time and court time and lawyer time efficiently. All right. We wish you well. Thank you for the question. Let's go to question two. This is the multi-point question that we often get and we love. Uh What I do is I read these and then Rob says, no, it's not multiple questions. It's just one question. Any ongoing listeners know this is what's going to happen. I'll be like, no, no, we don't prep these things. We just both look at the email and read them as we're recording. And it's like, ah, ah, okay. (laughs) And and I love it. I love that you can editorialize because I read it and I've never read it. And then you're, you're listening and you're going, this is just one big question. So it's great. Um, and it's, that's one thing we should say. We don't pre-read the questions because we are busy and it actually makes for better, funner, entertaining, uh, informative answers from us because it's a little bit more spontaneous. So anyway, uh, we do appreciate any question we get as always. So let's go through this multi-point question. Question one, again, listener gets right into it. Once the separation agreement is signed by both parties, okay, here we got another separation agreement question. Once it's signed, after a couple of weeks or months, can my ex-spouse open it up again uh, and cause grief and hardship? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, you and I have addressed this a few times recently. If you come to an agreement, you're at an agreement. And a court, whether it's a separation agreement, whether it's a consent order, however you've structured your deal, If you want to open it up, you need to show a change in circumstances. For things that are more fluid, for example, parenting, things with children can change, issues with children can change, parents can change. You can open up parenting, generally. Child support, changes in income, sure, we can open that up. But issues like property, once we've decided who's getting what and those sorts of things, a lot harder to open up. So I think it really depends on the issue you're looking at and how much time has passed, but is there a change of circumstance, and is the issue one that is live to being open? For example, if you both signed comprehensive waivers of spousal support, both saying, I don't need it, I don't want it, in any circumstance, and I am going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but anyone that has seen a standard separation agreement, the spousal support waiver is not one or two sentences. It's usually two or three pages saying all the circumstances we could imagine in the future, why someone might need spousal support or want to open this up again. We are turning our minds to those very specific things and saying, no, we don't want it. We don't need it. We won't go there. And for someone to come back in two, three, four days or six months and say, let's open this up again. No, you waived that. You can't open that up again. Much like selling a house. You gave up your right to the house. You gave up your right... Uh, to the ottoman, everyone's favorite ottoman in the living room. It's gone. But things like parenting, something happens, one parent has severe issues or some sort of change in employment or problem that means the parenting structure needs to change, you can open that up again. Someone makes more money, less money, we can open that up again. But it depends on what it is and depends on why. I went on long enough. What's your view, Derek? 
I mean, in terms of leaving a separation agreement in place, I don't want to give rules of thumb, but I find any any notion of opening up a separation agreement inside of a year of it being signed is is a pretty tough ask, right? The whole purpose of going through the process of that separation agreement is to open it is is to not open it up, excuse me, to to, to let it be and and to be bound by it and to close that chapter and move on. Um, or to govern yourself moving forward, respecting parenting time uh, and those things. Of course, a material change in circumstances is what would give rise to varying the agreement, as you've said. And material change of circumstances could be uh, any number of things for kids, but it doesn't mean anything. It means something that you couldn't reasonably foresee. And and one thing courts often say is you can reasonably foresee your children getting older. You can reasonably foresee your children as they age, their personalities develop, their preferences will change. You know, so so there are some things that even though children may change, um, not everything will trigger that material change of circumstances. But if one parent wants to move and it engages a, a mobility uh, inquiry, that's going to necessitate court intervention, you know, those sort of things. But I, I would hope that yeah, at least let things sit for a year. Again, there's no hard rule around that. That's just kind of Darren's thoughts on it. But um, anyway, let's go on to the balance of these questions. Second one in this email, this must be a BC listener. I've, I've, I've pre-read through this uh, right now. And the question is about a JCC court order. JCC means judicial case conference. Anyone not in BC, just so you're aware, in the BC Supreme Court, That's our superior level court, unlike Alberta Court of King's Bench. Maybe we'll take a brief aside on that in this episode, talk about that uh, change as well. We will. But um, in BC Supreme Court, you must do a judicial case conference as a preliminary threshold endeavor uh, in BC, meaning after you file, you have to exchange financial disclosure and complete a mediation with a judge or a master who is a type of judge before filing any immediate applications in court, unless it's truly urgent. So the JCC is like a free mediation with the court of sorts. It's about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on court availability. So the listener is asking if the other side is in breach of a, a JCC order which there's nothing particular about a JCC order. It's an order of the court, same as any other type of order. Um, and they're not following it. Can something happen to them? Like, well, if they breach the order and no one's doing anything about it, what happens? So they go to jail for breaching the JCC order. And just because it's a BC listener, I'm going to bounce it back at you, Rob, because it's a yeah. potential breach of an order. doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're in BC, Alberta, or um, of it breach, breach of an order is a breach of an order. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, breaching an order, you can be in contempt of court for that breach. And contempt of court, we've never really talked about it. Breach of an order doesn't instantly mean you're going to jail. Yeah, the cops don't someone, show up. Exactly. Breaching an order, you are in contempt. But what do courts want people to do? Follow their court orders. So you can do what's called either curing or purging the contempt. And we don't really know what the breach is in this instance. So if it was, for example, someone to produce some disclosure or do something, the moment you do that, the opportunity for someone else to bring a contempt application against you 
goes away because you've done what the order is contemplating. Now, if it's something like don't take a child out of the jurisdiction, that's where a court is more likely to get more excited and use more tools at its disposal uh, to enforce that order more quickly uh, and more swiftly. But things like uh, disclosure, depending on how long it's been, um, spousal support, making payments, we generally don't see anybody going to jail for breach of court orders unless they are repeated and severe. And if orders are being breached regularly and often, yeah, and someone's been warned multiple times, a finding of contempt is likely, which usually starts at fines, so it's monetary uh, monetary penalties, but it can ratchet all the way up to jail time. And we don't have enough from this listener to know really what's going on. I think the impact of uh, repeated breach of court orders is more subtle than people would often want, but it's it's in the end as, if not more effective. And what what happens is repeated breaches of orders by one party are noticed by the court over time. And then if they're the one asking the court for a favor by bringing an application, the court's going to look at their application with a raised eyebrow to start with, because they're going to go, I mean, there's this doctrine of coming to court with clean hands. So if you're already in breach of a court order, or you've breached court orders and and remedied it, um, the court's going to still look at you and go, this is kind of a bad actor. Like, am I ready to grant the relief they want? Or if it ultimately goes to trial, the first thing that might come through the evidence is on cross-examination, you know, sir or ma'am, you would agree with me that there was an order made on this date, yes, and you would agree with me that on this date you did this, and you would see that that's in breach of provision whatever the order. Yep, did that. And the court's going to go, well, this is a person that doesn't follow court orders. We have a bad actor here. Um, So... Although it's not the swift justice and the uh, order police don't show up and uh, tase and mace the person and put them in handcuffs, <laughs> um, you know, the, 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 the ultimate, you know, people do get their just desserts no matter what it is at the end. And um, the notion of people getting away with stuff, it often doesn't really happen. It all comes out in the end. So, um, all right, let's go on. Another question here in this email. What happens if my ex fails to provide their form F8 disclosure? Just so we're all aware, uh, BC uses, it's just a form number, form F8. It's just a standard disclosure request? Yeah, so it's going to look a little different than what's used in Alberta, a little different than what's used in Saskatchewan. But the basic aspects of it are are, what's your current income? What are all of your assets? What are all of your debts? And what are your monthly expenses? That's the gist of it. And the listener's asking, what happens if my ex doesn't provide that? And how can I get a separation agreement if they don't provide an F8? Rob, I think that's that's a low-hanging fruit here. What do you think? Uh, it is. It's, it's, she says here, if the other party failed to provide full disclosure, can I still get a separation agreement with my full disclosure? Well, the reason we ask for disclosure on both sides is so we have independent confirmation from both of you of what you both have. and. Ultimately, you have a right to full disclosure from the other party before making any deal. But if you've tried tried to force the disclosure issue, made applications for disclosure, whatever, and you're exhausted, you're at the end of your rope, 
and you're ready to make a deal and you know what you will settle for and you are satisfied with what you have received from the other party, even if it is less financial documentation and disclosure than you will be entitled to, you can still make a deal. Often your lawyers may or may not encourage that, particularly if there's some concern, there's some hidden assets or things you don't know about. But if you say, I'm not worried about that, I'm ready to be done, let's make this deal for X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be, I don't need any more disclosure, that's your right, and make the deal. Okay, I think we'll leave this question where it is. that's been a great sequence of points from the listeners. Of course, of course, as always, you can send us questions in really any format you like. So we do like the questions. We like them in any format. Keep sending them. Hopefully that helps this listener. Let's go to our last question this week. Well, uh, if I may jump on you, Darren, instead yeah, yeah. of going to a final listener question, I want to turn to, of course, the big yes. issue that happened for us this week and everyone in a Commonwealth country with the passage of Queen Elizabeth. And I got a great question via text message to a friend of from a friend of ours, fellow podcaster, uh, my buddy Dan at Fireside Chat, who hosts a podcast about the flames here in Calgary, said, as lawyers, do we have to redo our oaths, swearing allegiance to the king? Which I thought was a really good question. And the short answer is no, because when we became barristers and solicitors or lawyers, uh, we swear oaths to the queen at the time, as she then was, and her heirs and successors, which covers everybody down the line. But of course, there have been some changes since her passing that in, for sure, in Alberta and in other jurisdictions where we do use the monarch's name in our court title, that will affect things at least I would suggest, if not formally in title, but probably not so much in procedure or outcome. What do you think? So I think, I believe, and I'm just going off memory from my perusal of Canley, I often hang out there. Um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, I think those are the provinces that use their superior court titles as court that what was court of Queen's Bench, but now it will be court of King's Bench. And so anyone listening in those provinces, and if I've missed one of the provinces or I've inaccurately um, listed the court title at one of those provinces, you can email us and correct me. But I think those are the provinces. Your court title, I believe, Certainly in Alberta, Rob, we know this, the court title is automatically changed to court of King's bench. So you will likely see if you're kicking around a courthouse in your community in those provinces, a name change on the outside of the courthouse and on all the naming inside the courthouse. Um, The other change, of course, would be any provinces that have and continue to use the designation of what was Queen's Council, those councillors have become King's Council now. And um, I'm not overly familiar with the designation of what was Queen's Council, now King's Council. It's a selection process for esteemed lawyers. It's selected by the provincial government through the, I believe, the uh, Justice Department Attorney General's Office. 
you have to apply and people have to support your application to become appointed. But um, nonetheless, the designation has changed names um, and criminal cases. So no longer will it say the queen versus, you know, Smith. It would be the king would be the, the named party. The crown, of course, prosecutes uh, cases on behalf of the monarch. So um, I, I, I don't know other than that, other than it's just sort of a stylistic change. Um, I, I'm certainly not as much of a person that would pay attention to those sort of things. I'm, I'm not really in the know on the ins and outs of how and why and where this all stems from and all that sort of stuff. But um, there was swift changes to the naming and uh, people in those provinces should be aware of it. It was fast. Uh, we were impressed. The changes to the website happened same day. In chambers, interestingly enough, I was not in court the morning the Queen passed, but I had some colleagues that were, and they were in court in person. And when she died around 11.30 Alberta time, because court was still rolling, they stopped chambers and some employees, whether it was maintenance or whomever, came into the courtrooms where there were pictures of the queen and they shrouded them in black, in black fabric as a sign of mourning, which is really interesting because obviously these procedures for the website to change that quickly, for the pictures to be shrouded that quickly, sort of contemporaneous with this announcement, means all of those things were in process and planned for a long time. And it was just execution then on that plan and those changes that we're now seeing across the country. But Darren and I, you and I are not changing. We are still here on Divorced and Done. And we'll be here next week. As always, questions, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. And please leave us a review and we will enter you into our t-shirt contest. Darren Schmidt, thank you for being with me. Pending anything further? No. Great to be back with you, Rob. All right. This has been Divorced and Done. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you. Divorce obviously sucks, but at least it only costs 20 bucks. 2020, $20, $20 divorce. Let's get a 2020, $20, $20 divorce. We can save money and split our stuff. We'll both pitch in. Ten bucks. I saw this ad on the side of a truck and it, it seems totally legit, right? Like, no, no, man. We, we can trust a truck ad for legal advice, it's, right? It's, it's like, no red flags here. Let's get a 2020, $20, $20 divorce. Let's get a 2020, $20, $20, $20 divorce. Let's get a 2020, $20, $20, $20 divorce. Let's get a 2020, $20, $20, $20, $20 divorce.